Coming up on Stu Does America, YouTuber Sydney Watson makes her debut on the program tonight, and she's got a funny little story about Joe Biden's America that I think you'll like. And Andrew Cuomo is seeing an exodus of top health officials from his administration as he continues to be, you know, Andrew Cuomo. And as we all know, Andrew Cuomo is awful. Com. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Just a reminder that you can catch all of our episodes completely free on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, and more. Just head to stewdoesamerica.com for the links and help us take a stand against conservative censorship, which is coming all the time. More, 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 more censorship. Uh, you can get a Blaze TV account, though. Solve those problems. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 30 bucks for a limited time. It's a slippery slope, and by slippery, I mean ice formed from oil on top of plastic that they make playground slides out of. Really slippery. What am I talking about? Personal liberty, of course. So let's take stock and do forfeiting freedom. Stu does America. <sighs> well, you know, I think one thing we can kind of all agree on with the new Biden administration, particularly as it relates to their COVID strategy, is how bold it has been. We're talking about 100 million vaccinations in 100 days, which would only be slowing down from the Trump pace by just a little bit. What an incredible goal. It's what I call a stretch goal. Uh, seemed really difficult. Uh, also, we're seeing uh, new policies rolled out all the time. Bold policies designed to stop this virus right where it stands. Mm -hmm. Let me give you one from uh, the last 24 hours. Pretty exciting. The Transportation Security Administration will require travelers to wear masks through airport screening checkpoints and throughout all public transportation systems beginning tomorrow. It follows President Biden's executive order on January 21st, directing federal agencies to immediately take action to mandate the use of masks in airports, trains, intercity bus services and public maritime vessels such as ferries. Now, if this is a pretty I mean, you want to talk about a bold uh, uh, policy that's going to change a lot. And I, I bet people really do think it's bold if they've done none of these things in the last year. Because if you haven't flown in the last year, you might think people are still walking through the airport and going through security without masks on. You might think people are on their ferries and on their uh, subways and on their buses without masks on. You might think people are walking into federal buildings uh, all the time without masks on. You might think all of those things, but none of them are true. I've flown many times uh, since this whole thing started. And every time you have to wear a mask from the time you walk into the airport all the way till you walk out of the airport. That is what happens in America today. That is where we are. I thought everyone knew this, but there's this cool little marketing thing Biden seems to be doing, which is take Trump's policies, the things that were going on the entire time and repackaging them with a more urgent tone and act as if he's doing something new. Now, this is great work if you can get it, but I don't know that it's a great thing for the country. I don't think it's changing anything. And if anything, it's just restricting us even more uh, as our personal liberties sort of go uh, out the door. And what's interesting about this is that people continue to take what the government says so seriously. I understand that there has been a lot of different stuff that's gone on throughout this uh, this past year. It's been a difficult year. 
and there's been businesses closed, there's been schools closed, all sorts of nonsense has happened over the past year, which, you know, conservatives largely do not like. Though I will say there's some of the stuff has also been overblown. I mean, we've talked about this before. The mask mandate thing, particularly here in Texas, is just like I, you know, everybody makes a big deal about it. But like, frankly, I've been to other states. You go to Florida that has no mask mandate. Every conservative will praise Ron DeSantis with with good reason that he's done a good job in Florida. There's no difference. You know, that's just not the way. There's no difference in Florida. Yes, there's no official mask mandate. But first of all, a lot of local areas have it. Uh, Second of all, almost all the private businesses have it. Now, there's always a, a certain cutout of businesses that will let you walk in there without a mask. And if you really hate masks, like, for example, my wife, my wife would rather... Uh, have terrible things happen to our pets than have to put on a mask before she goes into a store. So, you know, she'll if she finds a place that doesn't have a mask uh, mandate and they don't really enforce it, she'll go back to that place just for that reason. Me, I don't really care. It doesn't really bother me all that much. I just want to get in and out of the stupid store. But, I, you know, there's always going to be some places. There's some places in Florida that are like that. There's some places in Texas that are like that, regardless of the mandate. These things don't make all that much difference. And it, it's, it strikes me, and I thought this as I was watching... Uh, one of Andrew Cuomo's hideous uh, uh, press conferences as he was saying, you know, we might just let you go eat indoors if you're the only person in the restaurant and you don't breathe while you're inside. I was watching some press conference like this and I was like, look at what has happened to our country. This is the United States of America. And we sit there in our little chairs while the governor or the president or somebody, some big powerful figure sits up behind their big desk and, or their big podium and we ask them, like we're children, what we're allowed to do with our lives. Are we allowed to go to restaurants today? Are we allowed to go to movie theaters today? Are we allowed to go on planes today? Do we have to wear our mask? All of these things are, generally speaking, decisions we should be making ourselves. It would be great if we had a government that would say, look, here's the thing. We think X, Y, and Z is going to be helpful. We think you should do X, Y, and Z. Here's our reasonings. Uh, behind us saying we want you to do uh, X, Y, and Z. Now, if you choose to not do X, Y, and Z, that's on you. And you know what? If you get some terrible virus, eh, we may or may not help you all that much because we're annoyed at you for not for not doing what we said. But this is what we think you should be doing. Do it or don't do it. You're an adult. You're going to take risks. We all take risks getting up every day. That's the sort of government I think you know conservatives and libertarians want, right? One that will be that will maybe you know, occasionally give their expertise on an issue they may have expertise in. But I don't want to be told what to do. And I think that's a really understandable instinct. A government that could come up with reliable information that they're not changing every 16 days would be a government that people would actually listen to and say, you know what? I don't even know if I believe this, but I'm going to be safe. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Why not? It's just X, Y, and Z. They've told us why X, Y, and Z will be helpful. And you know what? If I decide later on that I don't think X, Y, and Z has enough evidence to support me doing it, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z anymore. That seems like America to me. I don't know what this is. This, this is something else. But that seems like America uh, to me. And we just sit there like little children begging for approval for our actions on a day-to-day basis. I mean, is there a constitutional justification for so many of these things? I tend to think the answer to that is no. I tend to think that as these things go on, eventually all of, all of these restrictions are going to wind through the courts. And we're going to find out that most of this stuff was unconstitutional anyway. I talked to Jeremy Dice pretty early on in the, uh, in the um, uh, show here when we were doing, you know, early on in coronavirus. And I asked him, Jeremy Dice is a lawyer. He's a religious liberty lawyer. He's a guy that's not going to put up with the government cracking down on religion. 
for any reason. And I said, is there any basis to this at all? Is there any little bit of basis as to, you know, when, you know, they can shut churches down? Is that possible? He said there's precedence for uh, some very limited restrictions in a very intense outbreak. Right. You have uh, this goes back hundreds of years. But those are supposed to be limited, the shortest time possible. And then you need to let people get back to church. You need to like get, let people get back to what they're doing, what they want to do with their own lives. Um, and, you know, you, get, you keep getting these dumb Biden proposals where he's just rolling out things that have already happened. You know, like I, I, I you can know you have to wear a mask on planes. It's like, well, I mean, that stuff was already going on. I'm glad you kind of decided you were just going to throw it out there to give yourself a couple of points. But I mean, in reality, it's like, well, you know, by the way, the Biden administration is also going to get you a covid vaccine by the end of the year. That's uh, and they're going to come up with a video conferencing uh, website that's going to they're going to call it Zoom to allow you to talk to people so you can work from home. I think that's coming by 2034. So just get ready for it. It's just not productive, I don't think, in any way. Um, It is kind of a, a bizarre time for us here, you know, and I think like it's. It's built on top of each, uh, of itself over the past 15 years or so. And if you go back in our history, you see massive natural disasters that go, and the, the, the U.S. government basically does nothing about them. Huge floods that wipe out cities, and the government's like, all right, well, you know, let us know if you need anything. And then the local communities are like, let me think, uh, no, get out of our city. That used to happen all the time in America. I feel like there was a change around the Hurricane Katrina time. Obviously, the scale of that disaster was really, really big. And, you know, of course, New Orleans was not prepared for it. The state of Louisiana was not prepared for it. The government, quote unquote, had to step in to rebuild the city in a massive flood zone. And they did that. And ever since then, you've seen every natural disaster that has popped up over and over and over and over again has kind of given us the same sort of situation where the government steps in. We wait and we beg for the government to come and do their thing. We ask, we get pissed off at them when they're not doing enough. We've made this government's problem. The federal government is now responsible for every bad thing that happens in the country. And that is not how the country was designed. That's not the way this was supposed to go and isn't the way it has gone for a very long time. It's not the way uh, the United States has operated in a very long time. And I'm concerned about that. I think you should be concerned about it because here we are sitting now in a country where so far, under Trump in particular, the federal government had power to go over. They did some things, but generally speaking, it was left to the states. And what that has left us with is a country. If you remember John Edwards, the presidential candidate from the mid 2000s, he ran in 2004, I guess it was, on the concept of two Americas. There's this one America for the rich and the wealthy and the privileged and the other America uh, where, you know, I guess I think police officers are trying to commit genocide on all the time. I don't remember the exact context, but he was basically saying there's a rich and poor America. There's a white and black America. There's a male and female America. And, you know, it's the typical oppressor um, and the oppressed relationship that the left likes to conjure up. And I don't think that's real. But what I do think is real is the two Americas that are going on right now. I have friends who live in the Northeast. I have friends who live in California. I have friends who live in places like Pennsylvania and, and Michigan. And you know what they say? They can't comprehend the life I'm living right now. I live in Texas and there are there are two Americas, Texas and Florida and you know Arizona and other red states, particularly in the South, are sitting here looking at the world and saying, like, I, I really honestly I can't relate to you right now. I want you to know that 
You're as a as a host of a talk show, you're supposed to be like, I relate to you, the people. I really don't relate to you right now. If you live in California, if you live in New York, I don't really get it. You might say, oh, well, you're pretty privileged down there living in Texas. You can go do things. Yeah. You know, that's why I'm here. I want to be able to, you know, do things. Like when I want to go out to a restaurant, you know what I do? I don't check the uh, Andrew Cuomo's website to see if I'm allowed to walk inside. I just go. I go wherever I want. Now, there are some restrictions here in Texas. Very limited. There is a mask mandate that I don't think they're enforcing. Um, and there are things like large gatherings aren't generally happening. But you can go to, you know, I've been to, uh, I went to the Cowboys-Eagles game, which I wish I didn't go to. It was terrible. It was, a, it was a terrible thing, and no one should have been in that stadium, and I wish they would have locked down the whole state for that day. But the bottom line was, you know, you're living life pretty, I went to the World Series here in Texas this year. This is not a, it doesn't feel like it does in New York and California if you're in Texas, or a freedom-loving state, some state that at least leans freedom. That's all you need to do. You need to find a state that is at least leaning freedom, so then they have these options. They can keep the restrictions on for as short as possible, and let people do you know, live their lives. And I will say, uh, I don't have the graph handy in front of me, but look at the graph in cases of COVID between New York and um, and uh, Texas over the past four or five months. You can say back in April, okay, well, New York got hit hard and they didn't know it was coming. And you give me all the excuses that Andrew Cuomo would give me, and that's fine. Okay, we'll take that out of the equation. Look at us the past two or three months. We're, we look like the same state in rates of cases. They've been locked down. We've been mostly open. And there hasn't been much difference at all. There's a lot of reasons for that. We can go through. Maybe we'll go through another uh, monologue this week. The bottom line is uh, this is a country that is divided. You talk about income inequality. There's a freedom inequality problem we have right now. Half of this country is forfeiting freedom. They have taken freedom and they said, you know what? We kind of like that, but we're not going to do it right now. We're going to just abandon that for the moment. Where places like Texas are like, look, we, you know, there's there's basically two groups in the country right now. There's the people who say COVID is a massive problem and we need to shut everything down. And on the other side, there's people who say COVID's not really a problem at all and we need to keep everything open. There's a place, and I don't, you know, I'm not a guy who likes to. <laughs> if you watch this show, you probably know that I'm not a guy who stakes out middle ground all that often. But there's a middle ground there that says COVID's serious. However. Personal freedom outweighs risks. You have to be able to take risks as human beings. I oppose all these mandates, not because I think COVID is some, you know, disease made up by the government to put 5G in your veins. I oppose them because personal liberty is a, a, a big enough issue that it trumps all this other stuff, even when it's a bad idea, even when it could be worse for you to not do the things that they're asking you to do. You should be able to do it. And that is what has kept the United States of America, the United States of America for so long, that freedom. And we've begun to forfeit it. And that is not right. We do have a one more announcement from the Biden administration I wanted to get to. He has promised he will defeat Nazi Germany. Pretty soon. Back in a second. Trying to buy or sell a home in these times can be challenging, especially when you live in California or New York and they won't let you out of your home. So, I mean, when people come over to look at it, are you allowed to even look at them? Because, you know, your breath could kill them at any moment. 
You need a real estate agent you can trust to do the work for you to make sure that you're at the uh, getting the top market price for your home if you're selling it, or you get the best price if you're trying to buy. If you need the house painted or you need someone to replace the stairs, work to be done around the house. We had sold a piece of property recently where there was an issue underneath the bathtub, I think it was. I was like, I didn't even know there was anything beneath the bathtub. I thought it was just like empty space, like the abyss. But apparently there's something down there and it was screwed up. And they got to charge me a bunch of money to fix it, which was great. But at least I had a real estate agent I could trust, someone who could look at it and say, yeah, this is actually a legit expense. You don't get this thing fixed. It's not going to pass inspection. So we got it fixed. Get your real estate agent at realestateagentsitrust.com. You want to get the best one in your area? This is where they live. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm joined now by Sydney Watson, who's a political commentator and journalist. Uh, you can, of course, find her at the Sydney Watson YouTube channel. She's also a contributor for The First Network. Uh, Sydney, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I want to start here. This is not where I, I, want, I was going to intend to start. But I want to start here because you got robbed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it wasn't way, me, by the way. I don't want to start well, there to confess. Thankfully, because I did say on social media yesterday that I hope whoever did rob me, that their teeth will fall out. So no, really. it's actually a benefit to you that's in that good. case. <laughs> Do your wishes normally come true? Is that how this works? You know, uh, that's why I wasn't wishing for death, because okay. usually, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. I usually have luck in that regard. No, um, I, I thought that was a bit extreme, but I do mm-hmm. hope that their teeth fall out, maybe their fingernails, because okay. I feel like that would... Yeah, no, but I got robbed. Um, how did you get robbed? What would have happened? I just bought this brand new car, uh, like probably about a month ago, which I'm mm-hmm. a, just in love with. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not actually brand new, it's secondhand, so mm-hmm. just a qualifier. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I had it parked outside of a friend's place. Um, and in the morning when I walked out to get into my car to go and get breakfast, I turned it on and came to find out that someone had stolen um, two components from underneath. And what freaks me out is that they can get in and out in like two minutes. And it's really common. I it's know. so common. It's really incredible. It's, it's a whole industry. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, today I called the, the police to, to follow a report and, you know, obviously mm-hmm. for insurance purposes and things. And the police officer was saying to me, yep, you know, it's, it's more common than you'd think and no one actually knows about it. And what makes me angry is that these components are in the car for emissions purposes to basically make the pollutants that are going out from the car cleaner. <laughs> okay. So you have to have them by regulation because uh-huh. I asked him, can I just put, you know, something else in and he said no you have to have it and then what annoys me is the fact that we have regulations that force you to have these in your cars yeah. but no one is actually passing any sort of regulation or doing anything to stop people from stealing <laughs> them and then selling them on uh, that's amazing it's, I, I gotta say this guy sounds like the anti-al gore i kind of like him <laughs> yeah I got, I exactly like yeah him. i was like mm, you're kind of cool <laughs> if i was a thief i think i would steal emissions equipment i think that that's <laughs> a good way to go i kind of like that yeah no but um it just it's yeah, frustrating though teeth fall out teeth yeah. fall out that's all i want have you considered the fact that mm-hmm. Maybe uh, there's an income inequality issue mm-hmm. that they needed these more than you, and you should feel bad that you had them in the first place. <sighs> yeah, and just uh, me, the dirty capitalist over here. <laughs> no, I thought it's it's funny because Elijah Schaefer, who has obviously a show here at, yeah, yeah. at um, the Blaze, his wife said to me yesterday, um, Sid, it's actually better that this happened to you because you have savings. You're able to pull two thousand out because that's how much it costs to oh replace these parts. Is you know because they stole these two expensive components. So you know, she said it's better that this happens to you rather than like a single mother 
mother say who's lost her job or whatever. And I thought, I mean, that's that's some weird logic to this, but sure, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could get there. Yeah, I, I was yeah. like, um, no, no. It's, it's really inconvenient. <laughs> but I do feel, I really feel bad for people because when I post about it, I, I was shocked to learn how many people have had this happen to them in the last little while. And, you know, the mechanic actually yesterday said to me this happens in times of economic downturn because these parts are so, uh, you know, they've got um, rare metals in them. So the, the on-selling oh. cost, obviously, to them is they can make some money off of it. I mean, $2,000, that's a, that's a big theft. I mean, what, what are the police doing about this? Uh, as far as I understand, I believe that in Dallas, and don't quote me on this, but I believe that due to all of this, like, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, you know, police brutality thing, um, I think in Dallas specifically, the police are no longer following um, crimes like this, which, mm. again, I mean, there's not a whole great deal that they can do besides log it. And even then, they're not tracking, yeah. um, you know, the statistics statistically we're not tracking this anymore I don't believe um, but the cops they can't do anything because there's you know funding has been cut in that regard and I just think like you know like has like like Elijah's wife said you know I can handle it I have savings it's hugely inconvenient and it makes me really angry I don't want to have to pull out this much money but I just think like what what else are you supposed to do in these instances these people make me so mad I want their teeth to fall out yes yes don't steal <laughs> if, and if you see someone near your car with no teeth you're gonna know it's, it was that person exactly I'm so. gonna be like you <laughs> that, you it's an easy easy way to market um, what do you think about I mean we here we are in a, in a Biden America mm -hmm. uh, you know we're gonna spend a hell of a lot of money uh, mm -hmm. here to prop up this economy over the next uh, year or two mm -hmm. uh, is that gonna work or are we gonna have more economic uh, and more more, more car robberies as, as a cause. <laughs> Probably more car robberies. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the whole tax and spend phenomenon that you get with a lot of leftist governments is not helpful. Um, I think they often plunge governments, oh, well, countries rather, into um, you know greater and greater debt. And I mm. think that's probably what you're going to see. I mean, even reading about how Biden slashed, um, or, you know, I guess has rolled back a lot of Trump's uh, tax cuts. Sure. And that was what many, many, many billions of dollars. I just think like, you can't tax people into oblivion and expect an economy to actually function. It annoys me, to be quite honest. And I look back at Australia, for example, where I believe that the number is somewhere in the realm of, you know, f I think it's 60%, maybe 50%, 50 or 60% of people pay no net tax. And when you end up having economies that are being supported by a smaller portion of the population, I think that that's a hugely problematic thing going forward. So. I don't have high hopes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it does seem like that's a, that's going to be the battle we're all fighting, right? Yeah, I mean, the, for sure. The, I mean, the left wants control. Mm -hmm. They always want control. They always want more money. They always want more uh, top-down sort of control of everything. Mm -hmm. um, what's the situation in Australia? You're from Australia. Mm -hmm. um, Doesn't it, sound like I know, but I promise I am. Just a little bit. <laughs> just I can, just a hint of an Australian accent. Um, you know, th they've had an interesting past year with with COVID, right? Yeah, like, say at least. Where I, just my impression. I don't follow it all that closely, but my impression is uh, they've had very low, um, uh, you know, incident of uh, incidents of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, but very restrictive, mm -hmm. uh, and also they do have the benefit of being an island, uh, exactly. which is kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, what, what's what's your view of how that's gone for them? Ah, uh, you know what I I love Australians, mm -hmm. but I think that the government in Australia. Um, 
I think that they often overreach, and that was part of my frustration, part of why I left, is the mm -hmm. government, I mean, everything's regulated there, yeah. everything. Yes. You know, I'm surprised that we're even allowed to, you know, breathe without, don't do that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating when you live in a country and you basically have American ideals, so to speak. So, you know, watching all the COVID stuff go down, I mean, just for example, I don't know if you saw Red, because obviously, you know, Australia is not, you know, the topmost thing everyone's paying <laughs> attention to, but I believe there was like one case in Perth, which is on, you know, the West Coast in Australia, and they, they closed everything down for one case and I just think I mean if this is your response to this type of thing where obviously you know it's like we've been saying for however long there's going to be all these economic impacts and mm -hmm. you know even people turning to suicide or substance abuse problems from lockdowns and things no one ever thinks about that so the way Australia I think has handled this has been horrific and I think a lot of Australians are brainwashed into thinking that the government has all the answers when in fact the government actually answers to you yes I that's, mean that's kind foreign of, in a lot of foreign countries right it's like it's a weird concept yeah well let me let me go into that for a second because we have people who come on from you know the former Soviet bloc or mm. from Russia or from some really restrictive country and mm -hmm. they come here and I can see why they'd look at America as mm -hmm. this like you know beacon Bastion of freedom. Um, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, where Australia, I look at it, and I think uh, seems like a pretty cool place. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, it's like I, I've, there's a lot of stuff to like there, and there's a lot of great things. What makes you think I gotta go over to the other side of the world and, and go to America? It's. I mean, that is a great question. I think the truthful answer is that I, obviously, growing up with an American mother and an Aussie father, and my dad is very Australian in the sense that he's like, she'll be right, and that's a very Australian attitude. Is she'll be right. Everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't get your knickers in a knot. It's going to be okay. <laughs> right. Whereas my mom is this really big proponent of freedom and you don't tell me what to do and government go F yourself basically. Yeah, yeah. So I think growing up alongside both of those ideologies or, you know, ways of approaching things. Um, I think my mom certainly won out in a lot of ways because I do think that when you are restricted and there's things about Australia, I don't miss like the restriction, like, you know, basically everything being handed down to you by the government. Don't do this. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. You get to a point where it's like, well, I just want to live my life and be left the hell alone. Go away. <laughs> if I want to, you know, drink beer and go and, I don't know, sit in my underwear in my car. I mean, obviously, hopefully no one's around to see that, but let me do it. Right. Well, I actually, when I think of Australia, <laughs> I think of men sitting so around drinking beer in their underwear in their car. Like, that's actually the visual that comes to my mind. Maybe if it was legal, maybe then we would. Yeah, there you go. I like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's frustrating, you know, and then you see countries like the United States, and this is why I feel so strongly about America actually retaining and holding on to its freedoms, yeah. is because when you come from a country that is lacking them, or in the sense that, you know, Australians, and I, I, I think this is really poignant, Australians value security more than freedom. Mm. or at least a perceived sense of security. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I don't mind if you're encroaching upon my civil liberties, provided that you get the terrorist. I don't mind the fact that I can be detained for up to 72 hours without charge, without anybody knowing and never be able to talk about it, provided you get the terrorist. It's never gonna happen to me, it's the Australian attitude. And I, I hate it, I can't stand it, because what happens when it is you? Right. Then what? And yeah. that's what I love about Americans. They're like, I'll just shoot you in the face. That'll be that. <laughs> that's our policy. It's actually on our flag. We exactly. have a flag that says, I'll just shoot you in the mm -hmm. face. Actually, in the Pledge of Allegiance, it's got, and we'll shoot you in the face. <laughs> and they'll shoot you in the face. That's what you, okay, you lear you've learned it. Um, uh, uh, so t talk to me about um, the restrictions that are coming online. From the, Right now, we're seeing this thing where these big tech companies mm -hmm. are coming in, obviously, and, and restricting content. You've probably had your content restricted. <sighs> We've that. had ours restricted. Everybody on the right seems to have this problem. No one on the left, but everybody on the right. Mm. Um, and it's interesting. I've seen a lot of other countries make uh, interesting comments about that recently. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in Germany, uh, Angela Merkel comes out and says, you know, you can't restrict. I can't believe they're restricting. Uh, Twitter is restricting the president of the United States. That's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And everyone here is like, yeah, finally, someone's coming up and saying it. And then you listen to her remarks and she's basically saying, 
private companies shouldn't be able to do that. The government should be doing that instead. Yeah. It really is a different uh, way of thinking about these things. What, how do you see this playing out here? Oh my goodness. Oh, I, I really, I'm so, we, it was funny because I, I mean, I, I guess I'm just going to joke about this now again. <laughs> I am, I'm negative. I'm very glasses half empty. So I don't see this sort of thing actually improving unless people actually take a stand. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, in a way I'm anti-government. I am anti-government regulation, yes. obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I think like, how do we actually combat the censorship, particularly online. But this isn't just online anymore. It's spilling out into the real world when you see, you know, government, uh, sorry, um, companies and things saying things like, oh, well, you know, we're not going to sell my pillar anymore because yeah. the CEO is a Trump supporter or we're not going to, uh, you know, let people buy firearms, which is, I think, the direction that a lot of um, these credit card companies are heading in, like MasterCard, for example. Um, they're being, you know, pressured by these mm -hmm. leftist groups to stop, you know, basically allowing purchases of these particular things. What happens when you're basically living in a society where you actually need concurrent systems in order to exist. I mean, I know that sounds psycho and radical and, no, and it doesn't. conspiratorial, I, but... It's the, I think it's the more common position these days sure. among conservatives than the other. And that's new. I mean, like, I, I think... Mm -hmm. and, and it makes me... I will say, it makes me super nervous. Same. Because, you yeah. know, I feel like when new government regulations come out mm -hmm. some of them feel good at the beginning and then we always wind up losing as conservatives exactly the example i keep bringing up to people is we remember donald trump uh, i don't know a year ago or so yeah. started talking about how he wanted to tighten up the libel laws change the libel laws in the united states and you know famously in america has very loose laws on these things if they're a public figure basically you can say anything about the person right yeah uh, and that's you know i can understand why First of all, Donald Trump has a legitimate case that people lie about him all the time, mm -hmm. uh, number one. And number two, uh, there's a legitimate understand. Like, I can understand why the reaction would be we, gotta, we, we need to have the government move on something like that. Mm -hmm. But I look at where we are now, mm -hmm. where the AOC and all these people saying, look at what happened at the Capitol. We need to crack down on these voices. What if Donald Trump was successful a year ago with that? How would that be being used today? Mm -hmm. It would not be being used against liberals. It would mm -hmm. be being used against us. Right. And well, that's a, that's what they do. They leverage the laws and things that are already in place to attack mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> their their political like opponents. I you know I guess you could use that sort of terminology. Yeah. This also makes me, makes me really nervous because especially when it comes to like libel, slander, defamation. Um, certainly, yeah, you're right. When you are a public <laughs> figure, you're it's it's like game on. Like oh, you yeah. say what you want. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Like I mean, I guess the thing is that when there is room for abuse, that that's always going to be taken is it if that's going to be the path, I mean, path it might be the path less traveled but mm -hmm. it's certainly going to be traveled at some point right especially when you have people like AOC that are like we, she was I mean god even when she was saying that we have to have like lists of people who are in the Trump administration and you know we have to basically make sure these people don't get jobs I believe don't quote me it might have been her but it might have been someone else who said we have to make sure these people don't get jobs I mean the silencing, I think, is just going to get infinitely worse. It is. It I is. smile, but it's not funny, but you kind of have to laugh no, a little bit. No, all you can do is laugh. All you can, yeah, it's and, true. Uh, and while we're talking about libel, someone online wrote about me the other day that I look like Jimmy Kimmel with the carbs. <laughs> And I was like, that, is that libel? And I was like, no, it's actually pretty maybe, accurate. So. Maybe Jimmy Kimmel with less cocaine. Less cocaine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how much cocaine I do. Let's, we'll talk about that later. Sydney Watson, political commentator, journalist, uh, great YouTube channel. Make sure you uh, follow her there. Uh, she is, uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney's uh, YouTube channel is, of course, available to subscribe. You should do that as well as ours as well. If you're not already doing that, I don't understand you in any way. But subscribe to her there and uh, check her out on the first as well. Uh, Sydney, thanks so much for coming on. This is great. Thank you for having me. All right, back in a second. Welcome back. Let me uh, bring this meeting to order.
Andrew Cuomo was awful. Dot com. It's true. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Uh, dot com. And that's being admitted now by The New York Times. New York Times has a story out uh, nine, nine times top uh, New York health officials have quit as Cuomo scorns expertise. If there's anything that I could possibly imagine Andrew Cuomo uh, doing, it's scorning expertise. He is essentially the dumbest person in America. So the fact that he would not um, uh, embrace expertise, not exactly a shocker. Uh, from where I'm sitting, um, the deputy commissioner for the public health uh, at New York State Health Department resigned in late summer, soon after the director of its Bureau of Communicable Diseases uh, stepped down. Uh, also, the medical director for epidemiology. Last month, the state epidemiologist said she, too, would be leaving. The drumbeat of high-level departures in the middle of the pandemic came as morale plunged in the health department, and senior health officials expressed alarm to one another over being sidelined and treated disrespectfully, according to five people with direct experience inside the department. Their concern had almost an almost singular focus... Andrew Cuomo. It's true. I mean, you know, it's weird because we could sit here and rant about these things all day. And we will. And we will. Uh, Eventually, people started to notice uh, that little shows like us, people like Janice Dean, some other people were saying things about Andrew Cuomo that were a little different uh, than the uh, big narrative. And you can make you can make some inroads with that. I mean, that that we've, I think, moved the needle here uh, quite a bit uh, over the past year or so on Andrew Cuomo. But. When people like the New York Times start uh, jumping on the bandwagon, then, you know, the left starts listening, too. So, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm torn because part of me is frustrated that we've been saying these things this whole time and it's taken this long for people to notice. But on the other hand, like, I'm pretty excited that people are actually starting to hold him accountable for some of the terrible things he's done, which is very, very rare. Uh, one of the things he's done very poorly is distribute the vaccine. He's been now trying to come up with his own metrics to hide how bad he's been. Uh, when it comes to vac- vaccine distribution, CDC says he's doing a c- terrible job. Shockingly, just like the investigation on nursing homes, his own internal investigation is showing that he's doing a great job with them. Who would have seen this coming? Um, I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, uh, the d- uh, doctor uh, here talks about how he's often asked about the different vaccines and their efficacy. If you've, if th- this is something that I've seen from uh, many people, and in fact, people in my own life who have said, hey, you know, can I choose the vaccine I'm going to get? I kind of want Pfizer or Moderna. They seem to be 94, 95 percent effective. Johnson and Johnson, which, you know, hopefully will be approved soon, might only be 65 or 70 percent. I mean, I don't want to get that one. Well, this is pretty interesting. And let me go through this here. We have prelim- preliminary results for Nova- Novavax and Johnson and Johnson. But what numbers matter? What should you look for? Here's one set of data to track in a simple in a simple uh, table. So here is the table. Um, and it goes from Moderna, 15,000 people in, this, in the study. How many people hospitalized for COVID? Zero. Who died from COVID? Zero. Who died from the vaccine? Zero. Pretty good results. Pfizer, 18,600 people in the study. Hospitalized, zero. Died from COVID, zero. Died from the vaccine, zero. Uh, how about Novavax, 13,000 in the study. Hospitalized for COVID, zero. Died from COVID, zero. Died from the vaccine, zero. AstraZeneca, 5,800 in the study. Hospitalized for COVID, zero. Died from COVID, zero. Died from the vaccine, zero. Johnson & Johnson, 22,000 in the study. Hospitalized for COVID, zero. Died from COVID, zero. Died from the vaccine, zero. 
Now, we talked about the results in Israel, the early results from Israel, where they vaccinated a higher percentage of their population than anywhere else on Earth. And there we have seen a slight, uh, incredible improvement uh, from the other, the opposite. I think it was 6,487 cases in the non-vaccinated group and 31 cases total in the vaccinated group. I believe there were 15 hospitalizations in uh, that group of 163,000 people. So there have been some associated uh, afterwards, not because of the vaccine, just because they got coronavirus despite of the vaccine. That being said, these are amazing results. I've done shows uh, in this. Don't go back and look for them because it's going to make me look bad. But I've done shows where I was really skeptical that they would be able to get a vaccine that was this effective this fast. I, I am blown away by how well this is working so far. We'll see if it continues. Hopefully it does, because that's what gets your fat ass back in a bar, drinking beer, in close contact, so that fat people next to you can sneeze on you. That's what we all want. We all want to return to the time where greasy fingers are going into peanut bowls and then they're eating them and they're going back in for seconds and then you're going in just seconds later. That's what we all want. We want to go back to that life. That's, that can bring America back together. The only way we can do it is with lots of vaccines in the arms. Other than that, you're going to have to eat peanuts by yourself. Peanuts that are, 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 are not infected by anything. Who wants to do that? That's no fun. So hopefully these vaccines will bring us to a point where we can really dive in to those disgusting beer nut bowls. Back in a second. So Melvin Capital is this one of these big hedge funds, the kind of the, I would say, the front page sort of marquee hedge fund that was affected by this whole GameStop story over the past a few weeks. They lost 53% in January, 53% of its value. That is ooh, not fun, not, not a good return. You, know, you don't necessarily want to go 53% to the negative in one month. Uh, suboptimal is what they call that in the business world. Um, but they lost 53%. It's an interesting uh, thing because, you know, they're just one of the hedge funds that was affected by this. Um, other hedge funds, by the way, were on the right side of this trade and made a lot of money on the backs of this movement. Um, in fact, they had long positions on GameStop before that. Uh, so that's kind of uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's going to be fascinating to watch this story uh, play out. And, you know, you're, you knew that if you if you watch this particular program. Let me just give you a, let me give you a little storyline here. OK, let me paint a picture for you. Uh, you may have noticed, I said this on the air as well, and I tweeted it out, uh, this scandal is built for Ben Besrick, the author, who I love. And uh, I tweeted this out. I would like to formally request a GameStop book from Ben Mesrick. Now, just uh, moments after that occurred, and this is the first day this, this story is really blowing up, I get an alert liked by Ben Mesrick uh, that my, my tweet had been liked by Ben. So he, I mean, here's a, I, now in my mind, my, my internal story, right, my concrete inner narrative is saying, oh, Ben, like the book, maybe he'll try to pitch it. A couple days later, what do we get? This. Ben Mesrick. <laughs> MGM lands rights to Ben Mesrick's book proposal, The Antisocial Network, which would chronicle recent Wall Street GameStop chaos. The, the fascinating thing about this, when you read the story, the movie has been purchased by MGM. The book still hasn't been. Not only has he not written it, he hasn't even sold the book yet, and he's already sold the movie rights to the book. That's because Ben Mesrick is awesome, and he's way ahead of all of us. Uh, but I'm very excited for that book. It's going to be coming out uh, who knows when. 
but he will paint an amazing uh, picture of that. I, I, and I love, uh, I lo- he writes that stuff uh, as good as anybody, uh, and I'm excited to hear uh, about that. And I, I also assume, I mean, I'm just assuming, what is it, 10, 12% royalties? I don't, I don't know, how does that work? Don't give me any facts that disagree with that narrative because I don't want to hear them. Um, so that's uh, that's coming soon. I will say we do need some good entertainment because so much of it has dried up and died in this woke era uh, of politics and political correctness to the point of I, it's not even just that, though. It's more than that. It's that there are shows out there that are just terrible. Let me give you an example of this. I watched Saturday Night Live. Why did I watch Saturday Night Live this this week? Well, it was the first time of the new season. Wanted to check in, kind of see what they were saying. John Krasinski's the host. I love John Krasinski. You may know him as Jim from The Office. He's been in a lot of other things, but uh, you know, people kind of know him as Jim from The Office. And I love Jim from The Office. I'll watch anything he's in. I feel like it's, I, I, I owe it to him. I don't know why, but I feel that way. What's fascinating, though, is if I were to tell you, here, let me just, here, here's, let me paint you a picture. Here's, uh, here's, here are the resources available for Saturday Night Live. Here's the amount of money. Here's the amount of staff. Here's the amount of star power. Here's all the writers. Here's all the things that you have at your beck and call if you're at Saturday Night Live. And if I were to say to you, that's the picture. That's what's going on with this show. Now picture the worst possible episode of that show with all those resources, all of those great things. There's got to be some quality in the show, right? Picture the worst show you can imagine over a 10-year period coming out of that uh, setup. And then divide that result by a thousand and you'll have that first episode at Saturday Night Live. It was so almost intentionally unfunny. They tried so. And I know it's standard protocol to say that Saturday Night Live is not funny, but we are way beyond it to the point where you watch sketch, sketch after sketch after sketch and don't even chuckle once. There was maybe one or two sketches in there that were halfway okay. Nothing that would blow you away. And then 20, 30-minute periods with nothing. Not a laugh. How is it possible with the resources they have? They've been off for, what, six months? When's the last time they did an actual episode? Three months ago? Four months ago? In that time, they couldn't write a sketch that was good? All that time? How is it possible? Anyone who's creative would dream for the resources of what Saturday Night Live spends on one episode to do an entire season of your show. And what do they come out with? I mean, it's like it's it's as if a, a, a football franchise has been struggling and missed the playoffs for the last 30 years. And they just keep the same coach, seeing the same coordinator. You know, uh, nothing changed. No new general manager, no new owner. Same thing. Roll those same people back out there and expect at some point it's just going to turn around because I guess everyone knows our show and the name of our show. It is bizarre, man. I don't know how it could be that bad, but it is that bad. And I will say, of course, obviously the reason the. the result of the uh, of all my shenanigans here. Um, first time host John Krasinski scores as 2021's first Saturday Night Live shines. They the media liked it. That's where we are. Back in a second.
Congratulations, you did it. You made it to the end of the show. If you've been around this long, you might as well click like, right? Share this video. Also, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, five stars is the appropriate number of stars in case you're new here, uh, so make sure you, you do that. Um, by the way, uh, one of the clips from... <laughs> I kind of lost my mind on Andrew Cuomo last week. If you missed Friday's show, I kind of blew a gasket. Uh, I, I apologize to no one for it. He deserves every little bit of the hell he's been receiving lately. Uh, you can go and check that out. It's on, I know it's on all of our social pages, but uh, if you want to, uh, if you have any Andrew Cuomo uh, fans out there, you may want to make sure they see this particular rant. Uh, you can follow me everywhere on, uh, on social. Uh, StuDoesAmerica.com has all the links so you can do all the things that help me help you. Help me help you. Help me help you. Help me help you.